Welcome to the Wish I'd Known Men podcast, where we focus on how authors found success, looking at strategies that have taken them to the top of the bestseller charts, as well as what they've learned from their mistakes. Because being an indie author is more than knowing the latest marketing trend. It's about being innovative and creative and learning from your mistakes. Your co-hosts, Jamie Albright and Sarah Rosette, couldn't be more different. In fact, they're a study in contrasts. However, despite all of their differences, they agree that sharing what they wish they'd known, both the good and the bad, is the key to moving forward. Let's get to the show. Welcome to the Wish I'd Known Them podcast. I'm Sarah Rosette. And I'm Jamie Albright, and we're glad you're here today. Hey, Sarah, what's going on? Um, Just hanging out, trying to keep up with writing and everything else that's going on in the world. Yes. So this week we have a podcast with Nathan Van Koops. Yay! And um, it was a really fun, really informational podcast. Mm -hmm. He had a lot of good tips and ideas, and we talked about being a part-time writer and how that can be a great, great thing. And um, just lots of ideas about juggling uh, all the stuff and wearing all the hats that we have to wear. And I love talking to Nathan. He's kind of a deep thinker, and I just love that. Yeah, it's a really good yeah. – I love the interview. Yeah. yeah. So um, what's, what's been going on with you this week? Um, well, I've just been writing, been working writing, but I did mm-hmm. see that Knives Out is going to have a sequel. Mm. And so I'm excited about that because I think that's really good for mystery writers, mystery readers. And Mm -hmm. um, it was really funny. I saw some of the comments. People were saying they can't do another um, movie because it was Marta's story. And Mm -hmm. I thought, well, it's going to be another Benoit in the series book because I know a lot about him and he doesn't change a lot, but all the characters around him change. So it's like the perfect setup for a long series or a long franchise of movies right right I loved the movie I I just thought it was so fun but for you I mean that's like your catnip like I've already (laughs) seen it twice maybe I'll go see it again (laughs) if you haven't seen it guys you should check it out it's really a fun movie fun fun movie well I have um just you know this is one of those real life weeks for me where um had a bit of a family issue emergency really not an issue but sick grandchildren and had to drop kind of drop everything and go to Dallas because one was you know in the hospital they they needed you yeah I know so that's kind of one of those things you know it's a real life thing you know you make a bunch of plans about how you're gonna be productive and then real life jumps in and Mm -hmm. I've been really glad though that I have been able to not freak out, not get down on my, you know, mm-hmm. not because sometimes things like that can call me, cause me to spiral a little bit, but I haven't because, you know, hey, that's good. can't help it. And so you just jump back in when you can. Yeah. So hopefully that's an encouragement to some people, but, um, yeah. and then, um, just coaching wise, um, have had a great week. Um, just a couple of, kind of success stories and I've been really happy about that and for them and 
So that's been fun. But yeah. yeah. Well, that's good. And speaking of coaching, we have a winner, right? We do. Yes. So um, last week we said comment to be entered to win coaching and a copy mm-hmm. of the How to Write a Series book. Mm-hmm. And so we've got a winner. It's um, Tracy Peterson. Yay. So, well, yay, Tracy. Thank you for commenting. And thank you for everyone who left a comment. We really appreciate it. And there were some great ideas for guests mm-hmm. and topics. So mm-hmm. that will really help us out. Yeah. So we'll send you an email, Tracy. And um, I think we're going to do this maybe once a month or so. Yeah, give once a away. month. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think so, it'll be fun. Yeah. So we'll do that. Yeah. Well, if there's nothing else, we should get on with the interview. Yeah. Sounds All good. Right. So here's Nathan. Hello, Nathan. Hey, Glad Nathan. to have you here. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Yeah. So Nathan, tell us about your most recent book. Oh, that's a lot of fun. Um, mm-hmm. So I took a total left turn from my... <laughs> normal writing style. Um, so for those who aren't familiar with me, I, I typically, my first series was a time travel adventure series and, um, <clears throat> apologies about my voice today. I, I don't feel especially well as, as you might imagine, but, yeah. um, so I'll try to do my best to not sound terrible, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, my, my first series was a time travel adventure series. And, um, that's how I kind of got my initial following mm-hmm. and this new, series for me is something very different. It's much more alternate history. Um, I decided to combine the basic premise was what if medieval knights, um, instead of riding war horses, drove war cars. And <laughs> I, it was just sort of a fun mashup of, you know, modernism and history, yeah. sort of alternate history. And I just ran with it. And it was sort of an abstract idea, but um, I was able to, to make a world where that worked and um, had a blast writing just sort of a classic adventure story, the type of thing that I, I loved reading when I was a kid. Oh, and gosh. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just running with it. And it's so far, the reviews have been great, and everyone that has read it has really enjoyed it. So so how many books will there be? Just the one, or are you going to do a series? No, I have the, I have the second book in, in the process right mm-hmm. now. And um, the nice thing about kind of the medieval world and, and the character I've created is sort of a um, – it's a Knights of the Round Table sort of a, a setup. Mm-hmm, There's mm-hmm. an Arthurian element to yeah. it. And her role sort of as a knight errant or a you know road warrior in this case. Kind yeah. of a combination of um, knights and, and Mad, Mad Max. Max. Yeah. <laughs> it, the nice thing is that lends itself to this sort of wonderful episodic adventure yeah. uh, system where you can have any amount of adventures. And I think I'm really looking forward to it. I, I, I definitely will, will, will write at least three, three books yeah. in the series. Um, but I want to leave the door open and, and see yeah. what happens. That's awesome. That's really cool. So you're, it's, it's a gender flip then. So your knight is a female, right? Yes. She is yeah. a female knight. Yeah. Or she's, um, starts out just as a sort of a noble woman who falls from right. grace and has to kind of fight her way back to the top. So that um, gives you some interesting things to explore as well. That's it is. Cool. Yeah. And I was happy to discover that there are a, a, quite a few, um, sort of female knight stories out there mm-hmm. and it is, um, becoming more popular. I think. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Very cool. Well, so tell us, how did you get into writing when you first started? Um, I know you guys interviewed Becca Syme. Yeah. So, um, we talked recently about uh, how I ended up, I took her course and, and uh, one of my highest traits was intellection, which was just basically just sitting around thinking about things. And my first book literally was me sitting around thinking about it for four years and just sort of noodling this idea around in my head. Yeah. And um, I, had in it, well, I had a couple of them that I was mixing around, and I initially had to break them up into a couple different books. 
but one was this system of time travel that I had developed for no particular reason other than I, you know, it was just in my brain and eventually needed to come out and be somewhere. Yeah. So, um, I had the idea for writing this story, which was, you know, loosely based on, you know, people I knew in real life and settings I knew in real life. And I just said, well, what if this method of time travel also existed at the same time? And what would that world look like? And ran with it and just had a blast. And then, um, because I think because the, the time travel method was so well thought out because I had put so much effort into it and figuring out the plot holes beforehand and, and not doing a lot of the things that other time travel did wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, it found a readership. It found a bunch of people who said, yes, this is what, how it should work. A time and, travel book that makes sense. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And cause it's so commonly done in that genre that all the problems just get swept under the rug and no one yeah. deals with any of them. Yeah. And I said, no, we're going to open this Pandora's box. We're going to deal with all the problems and it's never going back in the box. Like there's, yeah. it's, there's no way it can. So let's just see what kind of fun adventures you can right. have. In this right. new universe. Yeah. And that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was going to say as a number one intellection, also that sounds perfectly logical. The way to plan a book is to think about it for years and years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And something a lot of people will not think about me. Intellection is number seven for me. So I do, I have layers people. (laughs) And so I do sit around and think about stuff a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Well, um, so Nathan, tell us what success means to you. Like, has it changed over the course of your career or like over the course of becoming a husband and father and all of that? How, how has that all affected what, what you think of success? I think it has definitely been an evolution over time. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was young, I, I made some interesting life choices and in, in a good way. I, I oh, think good. That's a great. Yeah. When I was in, in high school, my two loves were aviation and art. Interestingly, mm-hmm. um, I did a lot of drawing. I thought I might be a fine artist. i had also learned to fly at a young age when I was you know, 15, 16. So wow. I, those were my, kind of my two passions. And I initially went to college thinking that, well, maybe I'm going to be an art major. Those fine arts. But then I realized that trying to do, you know, art as a lifestyle and flying as a hobby was going to be an expensive, mm-hmm. you know, way to do it. Mm-hmm. So I kind of switched, flipped it around and said, okay, I'm going to go into aviation as a, as a business. Mm-hmm. Then I'm going to do art on the side. And it made more logical sense. So, but, but, you know, the whole avenue of, you know, leaving college to go to flight school mm-hmm. and then go kind of travel around. Like I was kind of bucking the common system of, mm-hmm. you know, you know, just go to college and go get a job like, and mm-hmm. you know, worry about the nine to five kind of thing. So from an early age, I was kind of carving a new path for myself, which mm-hmm. um, has served me well later on in this sort of more entrepreneurial society that we've created mm-hmm. where we have a lot of people that are you know, self-employed. And, um, I wasn't too tied down to one particular path. I was more concentrated on the lifestyle that I wanted more than the job that I wanted. Mm-hmm. And I think that was been an important guiding um, principle of my life is that, you know, now I have this wonderful setup where I still have a job in aviation, but it's a job where I, you know, I run my own business. I um, show up to work in flip-flops with my dog and, you know, I, I make my own hours. I, it, it's sort of this, um, obviously I, I put in my time over the mm-hmm. years, you know, I've been doing this for 20 years. It's not like, mm-hmm. I was initially able to do that, but um, I've always had an eye not on just the money aspects, but on the lifestyle aspects of, of what I wanted. So 
for me, success is being able to call your own shots, being able to live the life that you want. Um, understanding, I think it's important to understand yourself, understand what actually makes you happy. And I'm, I'm appreciative of the fact that the things that make me happy are relatively simple. You know, for me, not having to put socks on in the morning is <laughs> happy. Let's, and, let's say you do live in Florida, though. That, that is an is advantage. Yeah. This is true. And maybe, you know, had I worn more socks, maybe I wouldn't have gotten this cold. But, um, <laughs> the, but I, just, I just don't like wearing them. I don't want to mm-hmm. do it. So I'm going to, you know, live in Florida. I moved to Florida, you know, partly for that reason. Um, and I like to, you know, eat tacos. And that's, that's what I do. I go, I go to take a three-hour lunch break, you know, on the days when I'm working at the airport. And I write during those times. And I hang out with my dog and eat tacos. And that's, that is for me the definition of success. So anything I can do on top of that, you know, obviously I have my family life and, um, you know, I would love to see one of my books, you know, be a a major bestseller or something like that, but it wouldn't really change anything um, in terms of, I already consider my life to be a success and I'm already very happy. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's a great place to work from. Yeah. It's a really yeah. kind of healthy, healthy place to be. So mm-hmm. it, it, it allows you to ride the waves of this business mm-hmm. and um, just sort of stay afloat a little bit easier because, you know, your boat is not that easily rocked. Right. Uh, right. Throw some more metaphors in there. <laughs> I, love, uh, I love a good metaphor. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think that, I think I always tell people this and, it's so cliche, but knowing your why, but your why is a lifestyle. You want this lifestyle and you right. have, you know that. And so you're right. When things get rocky or don't go the way you want, you still have that to hang on to. And so you don't lose focus. Even when things do go well, you don't lose mm-hmm. focus on that. So I think that's awesome. And I think it was one of those things that I learned early on from books, interestingly enough, mm-hmm. because a lot of the, the heroes and the characters and the stories that I like to read these, I, I mean, I write adventure books mm-hmm. largely because as a child, I read adventure books. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my, my all time favorite book is the never ending story, which is all about this, you know, kid, Atreyu who mm-hmm. just goes off just for the sake of adventure, literally has nothing, but is self-sufficient, you know, other than just, you know, meeting friends along the way. And it sort of, instilled on me this sort of core value of like your internal integrity as a person, like who you are as a person mm. will always be the most important thing. Yeah. No matter what happens around you, if your house burns down, all your stuff goes away, all of your friends leave, like whatever it is that happens to you in life. If at your own core, you're a strong individual um, and you're happy with yourself, mm-hmm. then nothing outside can affect that. I mean, you're, so cool. you're in charge of your own brain, your own headspace. And that's really the only thing we can control. Right. Um, you know, for the most part, obviously there's, there's issues there too, sometimes with mental health and stuff. But, um, you know, for, for me, that's been the focus of, you know, keep the calm, a little center fine. And then just mm-hmm. problems as they come. And I think that's, that's awesome. Yeah. It's an important way to, to, to live this, this lifestyle. Yeah, mindset It's a healthy way. Yeah. 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 Mindset is so much of, this business and this yeah. life. <laughs> so, yeah. so that kind of transitions into our next question was like, I've heard you talk about how you write part time and you have two businesses mm-hmm. and you actually enjoy that. And I feel like there's a huge emphasis in the indie community about being full time. And if you're not full time, you know, you, that's what you need to strive for. 
So can you talk to yeah. us about um, the advantages and um, why you like having two, um, two jobs to balance and juggle and what's the, the yeah. advantages of that? There are significant advantages, I think. Um, the, obviously, there's financial advantages of, of having two incomes. Um, there have been times when my you know, aviation business has floated my, you know, my main lifestyle, whereas there's other times when the author business has you know, mm-hmm. stepped up and delivered and you know, paid the salary, you know, and I can I have the option of having more than one uh, influence, and it's changed over the years. I mean, I I'm full time self employed, which which makes it really nice is the mm-hmm. fact that I have two businesses that I run myself. So um, I've been able to structure it so that I work three days at my aviation business. And I work two days, uh, basically full time writing mm-hmm. those days. Um, but, but in addition to that, I, because I can make my own schedule, I, I schedule my appointments pretty far apart on the days I am. What I do is I administer exams to people who want to become aircraft mechanics. Mm-hmm. So, um, having been a mechanic for a lot of years, now I have this opportunity, uh, to work kind of for the FAA and I'm working for myself and I'm doing their job for them basically and administering and proctoring these tests. Um, because I'm able to schedule them, you know, a few hours apart, I can give myself a three hour lunch break every day and say, okay, well, I'm also going to write during these times. Mm-hmm. And then it allows me to, you know, cut out work at the end of the day and go home and spend time with my family and not have to be writing in the evenings, writing on the weekends. Um, so able to sort of make this work. Um, so finding a job that allows you flexibility, I think is the main thing um, in terms of your hours. But it also, it gives you sort of a... Um, I guess it's, I guess it's kind of a safety net, obviously of, cause this, this book business for as much as I love it is incredibly up and down. It's you launch a book and now you got to stay on that hamster wheel and just run, 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 launch the next book and then run, run, run and hope you never have one that doesn't hit. Yeah. It, it's unrealistic long-term. I think that people um, are jumping into this business. A lot of people are quitting their jobs too soon. They're, um, taking this leap and you oftentimes hear the success stories. If you're in, you know, 20 bucks, 50 K or any of these other like stories where like, people are always celebrating the times when they quit the job and launch, but you very rarely hear about all the people that are like, yeah, well, I had to go back to work, mm-hmm. you know, because it didn't work. No one's posting that online and saying, right. um, yeah, I tried it for a year and I just, you know, unfortunately the books never could took off or my new series was kind of, you know, wasn't written to market well enough, mm-hmm. things like that. And just because you're not hearing about them doesn't mean they're not happening. Right. They're happening quite often. Um, so it's, it's important to be realistic and, and say, um, I expect there to be down points. Mm-hmm. And I made that mistake early on where I, you know, I, I toyed with the idea of just trying to go full time with it. And because um, I had my first couple books were, you know, getting progressively better and better. And my income was, you know, um, ex- you know, coming in exponentially every time I would launch a book which is great. But then I, you know, I switched to a new series and it just, I was like, Oh, wait a minute. Um, mm-hmm. I'm starting over again. This is different. Mm-hmm. And you know, then I went back and put out another book in my other series and the money came back and I go, okay, but I, you, I don't want to keep doing one series my whole life. Right. And even if you do, like it's going to hit an end point at some point, if you get 11, 15 books or whatever, 20 books, however many it is you get in a series, mm-hmm. you know, you still have to be able to reach new readers and you're still shackled to that book one, which is probably your worst book, 
because it was the thing you wrote six years ago or, or 10 years ago, or however long it was. Mm-hmm. And now you're, you're better as a writer. So now maybe you have the ability to reach other newer audiences and you have to be able to experiment and um, take risks. And I think a lot of it has to be thought as much as I've, you know, I love the indie space and how much we um, talk up the success of indies. There's a lot to be learned from publishers on the trads side. Mm-hmm. And it, when it comes to um, risk evaluation and being realistic with yourself about, okay, I've, I've basically worked myself into a contract with this author yourself mm-hmm. for X number of books in this series. Will it pay off? Can you be brutal enough with yourself to say no to an idea? Um, can you tell yourself not to write a book because it's, a, you know, maybe it's not good enough yet, or maybe there's no market for it. Um, and it's hard for indies because we're the author and we have the creative side and we say, well, I really just want to write this thing because I love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. But the publisher side of you has to be realistic about whether this thing is actually going to make any money or not. Right. And it becomes vital as a business person when you're trying to make a living off of this. Um, whereas me, I have the, I have the ability to take those leaps, take those kind of flights of fancy and say, Hey, I'm going to write the book that I really love. I'm going to write this, this sword fight car racing book. King Arthur versus Smash. King Arthur, Mad Mad Max Smash. Yeah. Like I wouldn't have the freedom to do that. Yeah. um, If I was just concentrating on writing market. Yeah. Because it's just too much of a risk um, Mm -hmm. as the publisher, Mm -hmm. but because I have the ability to basically pay all my bills with my aviation business and then let my, my author business fund itself. Mm-hmm. You know, I can just keep all the money in there. And right. what I've done for a lot of years is just let the money just keep building up building. in there and building up in there. So now that I have money to do really quality audio and mm-hmm. I can do the things that I do really well mm-hmm. um, and spend the kind of money I want to spend um, with a long-term goal of saying, okay, this audio may not pay off for a few years. Mm-hmm. Um, if this book doesn't, you know, immediately rocket up the charts, mm-hmm. but long-term it will, and it'll be a great investment. Yeah. And, but I'm not having to like take a salary, you know, a full salary from that, that book, you know? Um, so I, I think there's definitely like some really strong advantages to finding at least part-time work, if not full-time work. And like, I actually, I'm, I really enjoy my job. Like, so I'm, I'm one of these few people that's, I've never been wanting to quit the nine to five in terms of like, Oh, I got to stop working for the man. It's not you know? a soul sucking job for you. Right. It's not. And I yeah. think there's this stereotype that all jobs that aren't writing must suck your soul. Mm-hmm. And it's just not true. Like yeah, you can actually be true yeah. incredibly um, fulfilled right. by other work. And like, as much as we love writing, like this is not the only gig out there. No, it's not. And, you know, Elizabeth Gilbert talks about this in Big Magic. Um, she talks about how when you do, when you put that kind of pressure on your art, that yeah. it it really can stifle your art. And if I'm honest, there are times when I feel that way. I mean, not, I mean, I was working a part-time job that was a good part-time job and I was able to quit. but. I think I was more productive when I was working because I knew I had just those snatches of time to work and I had to make them work for me. Mm-hmm. Pardon pun. So yeah, I agree. I, I've, I have rethought that 
since I quit. Um, I don't see me myself going back to a job, but I do see that there are advantages to staying in the job if it's working for you. Interestingly enough, I'll often get a lot more work done mm-hmm. on my author business on days when I'm working my aviation yeah, job yeah, than I, I do on the that. days when I have the whole day open. Mm-hmm. When I have the whole day open for the, I mean, <laughs> I, I think I'm going to get a ton done. Yeah, and me too. Sometimes my brain just needs a break that day. So, yeah. yeah. What's that? Uh, the thing is the work expands to fill the time you yeah. have. Yes, I, exactly. I was the same way because I started writing when I had little kids. And so I would literally put my, let's see, my daughter was in pre-K and my son was younger. So he was home and I would let him watch an episode of Barney. And I knew I had like 20 minutes and that was it. Mm -hmm. And if I was going to get any writing done. So I learned to write really focused time, you know? And so I think that we do that. We, if we have limits, sometimes it helps us. When I first started writing this book back, my very first book back in, um, I think it was like 2012 when I was trying to finish it up. I was actively managing a maintenance shop at the time. I was running, I was director of maintenance for a a flight school maintenance shop. So I was running that business and I was writing this book in little 15 minute breaks, you know, on like, and my lunch break, of course, my lunch hour, I'd go, go write Mm -hmm. and totally, you know, blow off the other guys. And they'd be, all right, we're going to lunch somewhere. I'm like, nope, I'm going to go by myself. I'm going to write. Or like by the time I was writing in word at the time. So in my document was so big. I remember that by the time I would get my laptop outside, open it up, get the document open, scroll and like, just get it to load to to find (laughs) the point where I, where I left off. I'd read like the last paragraph that I wrote and then I'd sit down to write and I would have enough time to write maybe one more paragraph Uh or two. And then it would be time to close the laptop and go back in. And that's how that book got written. That book got written that way, you know, like one paragraph at a time. Right. Minute breaks. And, yeah. You know. Well, um, so tell us what your biggest wish I'd known then moment is. Like, mm. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of different ways I can go, obviously. Yeah. In terms of actual practical mistakes I've made, I think one was I made a big mistake early on where I decided to do a royalty share on book one of a series, mm-hmm. which was a big no, no, because at the time I had the book free, I had a perma free book one. Mm-hmm. And I made this big mistake of thinking that if people, if the book was free, people wouldn't want to pay for the audio, mm-hmm. which was absolutely the wrong decision. It was actually, yes, I got this book free and yes, I want the audio. That's, yeah. that was the right answer. So mm-hmm. I, I would, I'd been producing two audiobooks at the same time, book one and book three. And I thought, Oh, well, okay, I'll just pay for book three and I'll do royalty share for book one. It was the worst decision I ever made because I've lost thousands of dollars on that because of the fact book one is always going to be the most popular book. Like yeah. I don't know why I never just thought through that. Yeah. Um, so that was in, a, in terms of practical advice, I would say always keep the rights to your audio mm-hmm. and I won't do any more royalty shares. Um, Cause I also didn't realize at the time that once you're done with that royalty share term, you still don't own the rights to the audio. You only own, you get the rights to your content back. Yeah but you still have to basically buy the audio over again. Um, so it was, that was a big, big mistake um, that I would definitely not make again. The other, the other mistakes I think come from um, just the idea of j- trying to juggle too much. I think the idea is that you know, if anyone were to look at, at my business, mm-hmm. like I can, I can literally juggle. I have like little <laughs> juggling balls actually sitting right over here. I, but I can only juggle three things at a time. Like that's my, when it comes to actually juggling, that's how many balls I can juggle. Yeah. Like if you give me the fourth ball to juggle, one of them is going on the floor. 
and I'm going to continue to juggle three. Right. And like this business requires about 10 balls at any given yeah. time. You know what I mean, mm-hmm. I can only juggle three. So at any given time, you know, there's seven balls on the floor. And every once in a while, I'm going to trade out which one I'm dropping and then I'm going to pick up another one. And that one's going to get juggled for a while. And that's right, right. So I think that people have to realize that as a one person business, you are only one employee right. of your company. And however much time you have to give, that's how much you can handle. Right. And it's important for you to be able to focus on the things that you can get the most done with. Which of those 10 balls are the most important for you to always have your hands on? Right. Every once in a while, all of them are going to end up on the floor. Mm-hmm. You're going to completely drop everything right. and something's going to happen and then nothing's getting done. Right. But then you just have to keep picking up balls off the floor and keep juggling. And it doesn't, it doesn't make you a bad business person. It doesn't make you a bad writer if you've got seven balls on the floor at any given time. Mm-hmm. Like, because you're still juggling three or two or one or whatever you can manage mm-hmm. um, during that particular moment. And the point is you got to just keep bending over and pick back up you know, with the things that are dropped and just keep juggling. Right. And that's, that's what this business is. And the people that are able to stay in it long enough. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe at some point I'll learn to juggle four. You know, that's, I, I do always want to improve. Maybe I would drop things less. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's at no point will I ever be able to juggle 10. Mm-hmm. It's just not in the realm of my abilities. So I need to stop trying to beat up, beat, beat, beat myself up about like the fact that there's balls on the floor that aren't getting done. And then just focus on doing a good job with the ones that I've got. That's such, think, good, that's such good advice, yeah. yeah. Because if you spend all your time worrying about what you can't do, then you're not focused on what you can do. So right. it's like a it's mindset again. So, so um, vice versa, is there something that you thought was a great idea that turned out to be a mistake in the long run that you thought, oh, that's not mm-hmm. going to work, maybe in... I think, I think it's important that... Um, everyone understands that that can be anything like anything that you think is a good idea may end up hurting you in some other way. Uh, it may be drastic. It may be like some book totally bombs. Um, or, you know, it could be that, you know, something turns into a total time suck that you don't, Mm. you know, that you thought was going to pay off in a certain, certain way. Um, it shouldn't prevent you from, from trying new things. Obviously again, it's like you got to brush yourself off and, and learn from those mistakes. I think it's important to know that you're going to fail and know that that's okay. Mm. Um, I think there's this attitude in the, in the space sometimes where it's just like, everything's always got to be a constant upward motion and we're always going to be being more and more successful than we were before. And I think that it's important to look back. Like for example, when you're looking back at your first book and think, Oh man, I can do so much better than that now. Like I I'm almost embarrassed about, this thing that I did back then when I didn't know what I was doing. That's the wrong attitude. The right attitude is to say, Hey, look at how much more I know now. Look how far I've come Mm -hmm. Look at the thing I'm producing now. And instead of feeling bad in advance about how sucky this book you're currently working on is going to feel in five years. (laughs) Like you think about, you think about your own particular successes. You think, okay, I personally have gotten better at this element of the craft. I've gotten better at this element of marketing. I have improved this, 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 and this. And you just kind of keep a healthy attitude about the fact that yes, you are never going to be perfect. And you know, like that's the creative side of us. Like as artists, you're never happy with your own work because you're always wanting to work on the next best thing. Yeah. And that thing should be better. Like everything you're working on should be better than anything else you produced. 
it doesn't demean the quality of your past products. It's just, it's a, it's a public display of your progress mm-hmm. um, as a writer. And I don't, I mean, granted, yeah, readers may not notice that. They may pick up your first book and be like, wow, this person can't write. I'm never picking mm-hmm. up anything else. There's again. But that's not the point. That's not yeah. the whole reason we're doing this. We're doing right. this to improve ourselves as writers, what we hope. Yeah. And um, I don't know, I guess it, get, it comes back to what's your definition of success. And if right. your success is just make a bunch of money, that's, you know, that's okay. Mm-hmm. But for a lot of us, it's, how good can I get as a writer? You know, how much better can I be? And if you're measuring your own progress that way, I think it's, um, it's much more healthy. So tell us what one of your big successes is though, now that we've talked about the things we wish you'd done differently. Uh, is there something you did and you were like, wow, that really knocked it out of the park? You know, I think, um, you know how people are always saying, like, don't read your reviews. Yeah. Um, I disagree with that. I think that you should. I think that you should learn from your mistakes, learn from, um, I think in order to be able to accurately judge your progress, mm-hmm. you have to be able to know how they're, how your books are being viewed from the outside world. Yeah. Um, like I said, for my first book, for example, like a lot of people loved it for its accuracy of like how well thought it was. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was also my pacing was, was a little slow in the first book. And I remember, I know I lost, if you read, read any of my, my poor reviews, it's always people are like, ah, I, I couldn't get through this first part of it. Cause it was, cause the other world building was took too long or whatever. And now I'm writing books. If I look at my current, my most current release, I can see things like, Hey, I read this in 10 hours. You know, I read this, um, in two days, right? I, I stayed up four hours into the night to read this thing. Yeah. I've never done that before. Um, and those are the kind of reviews, obviously, you love to hear. Yeah, but like, awesome. I don't, and I look at that and I say, okay, well, this is a sign of clear progress that I have devoted my time to work on pacing and mastering this element of, you know, leaving hooks at the end of each chapter mm-hmm. and things like, and, mm-hmm. and actually being able to define success by like, um, I mean, you can't. You're, you're always going to get somebody that's going to want to start your book or whatever for some random reason. Right. That's that's not the point. But the point is to be able to measure your own personal success that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I think also going back and I've got a little f- a file of emails I've gotten from readers that said, you know, Hey, you've really touched my life with this particular book or this particular series because it, it affected me in a way that, um, you know, I was going through a dark time in my life and I just mm-hmm. really needed these characters to hang out with, or, you know, it, mm-hmm. it really got me through something. And that's not something that we necessarily control. It's not on us. It's not like I'm, pat on the back for us necessarily. It's just that we happen to have connected with these particular readers. Mm-hmm. Um, but those connections are something that's definitely worthwhile. That's something that's definitely worth sustaining. So like now when I think about the next book I'm going to write, I've got these specific people in mind and saying, yeah. I'm writing for this guy mm-hmm. or this lady or you know, whatever it is. And um, I'm doing something new now where I'm trying out this like year long pre-order um, wow. us on Amazon <laughs> because I know it takes me about a year to write, put a book out Yeah, uh, or I'm hope, sometimes less, but, um, so I just basically put the new pre-order out and now every time I, you know, I check those pre-order numbers and I see them going up, people haven't read book one and they're already buying book two, even though it's yeah. like a year away. I'm like, okay, I'm writing for this person. Those yeah. particular people are the ones I'm writing this book for. And it doesn't matter if anyone else reads it. Like, cause those people are, are really excited to read this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of like those kinds of attitude things mm-hmm. I think are, are important. I think that's great. That's great. Yeah. 
So I'm a huge fan of long pre-orders. I've been using <laughs> them for my last couple of series, my cup, last couple of books in my more recent series. And yeah. it's, it's awesome to go in there and look and go, oh, look, there are people looking for this book and they're interested for it. Yeah. So I think that's awesome. I think there's a point along the way in any book where you start to doubt yourself and think, man, should I just throw this whole darn thing? Oh, I'm right there with, I'm right there now. <laughs> <laughs> and that's such a standard, that's such a normal part of the process. Mm-hmm. But when it's true that when you can look at those numbers and say, Hey, there's these people waiting for this book. It makes you get off your butt and finish it because yeah. it, it's not just yours at this point. It, it belongs. Right. People are paying money for this thing already. So you've got to deliver. And I think yeah. that's, yeah, it's a little bit of pressure, yeah. but yeah. it's also <laughs> A great bit of a kick in the pants. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I like, I like that. Yeah. How and you've had success with the uh, the long pre-orders? I guess it is my first time trying it. So yeah, yeah. I did it for the historical series. So when okay. I had the first one out, I had the second one on pre-order. This was when you could only do ninety days, right? And so then when the second one came out, I had the third one on pre-order, and now I have, you know, I'm doing like the six month pre-orders. I'm not quite brave enough to do a year because that kind of terrifies <laughs> me. Yeah. <laughs> So. Doing six months would terrify me. So I, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know if I can commit. Well, I usually don't put it up until I have a draft. And then I'm like, okay, I know I can at least shape this up if I need to. That's so smart. That's yeah. smart. Yeah, that is so that's good. something that's kind of changed in the industry is like we're seeing more and more things where uh, we, we have some options to do things more like traditional publishers than we did mm-hmm. at the very beginning. So yeah. um, what are some other big changes that you've seen in the industry over time, either in the writing or the marketing? It's interesting because the longer you, I mean, I've only been doing this since 2013, so like six years or so. You're an old timer. I know. Yeah. It seems like, oh my gosh, you're a veteran. <laughs> six years. Ooh. You know, it's like, it's, and I guess, I mean, obviously before that, I was reading, you know, I was, I was yeah. doing a lot of, you know, studying. I was reading, um, you know, Right Publisher Pete and you know, all the, all the how to publish was before mm-hmm. that. Um, but yeah, things have changed so much. And I've gone through all these different... I remember when my second book was coming out, I wrote this really long, like 200,000 word novel. And um, everyone's saying, oh yeah, I got to break it up. It's got to be a serial. Serials are where it's at now. Everyone's got to write serials, you know, cliffhanger ending serials. And like a lot of people were doing it. But a year later, they weren't. You know, yeah. I mean? like, And I was really happy with my choice of saying, you know, no, this is one long, satisfying book. Yeah. And it, I've made the most money of any of my books off that one book because it's yeah. huge in KU. And it's big in audio. It's like 19 hours of audio. Yeah. So it gets a lot of downloads. And like, I didn't go with a trend um, just because it was a trend. You know, yeah. I went with what I really thought was what I really wanted to deliver my readers. Mm-hmm. And um, in terms of like what TradPub is doing now, for example, things I've learned, I've started to price higher. Um, you know, I think mm-hmm. that now is the time where indies have if you've been doing this for a little while and if you've kind of worked your craft to the mm-hmm. point where you're delivering a real quality product, mm-hmm. I think the time has come to start pricing more in line with, you know, you know, with what trad pubs are doing, because not necessarily to the point of, obviously they have, they have a, a situation where they're, they're, they're jacking up the prices of their eBooks just so they can sell more paperbacks, more paperbacks, which yeah. is, mm-hmm. which is not our method. That's not our yeah. model. So, it has to make sense within limits for us. Like we have a better delivering system. Mm-hmm. We have a better, um, the, in the, in the print on demand market, like that model is just more functional and better 
than the trad pub because we don't have to warehouse tons of books. We don't have to ship tons of books. We don't have mm-hmm. to print a lot of paper. So it's, it is a very different industry, but um, I do think that there is logic in, in training your readers to buy um, higher price books and also getting readers who really want to buy your books as opposed to they just want to get a deal. Mm-hmm. And because one of the things that I, I think has shot me in the foot over the years is, um, I mean, yes and no. Like, for example, I, I ran my, my book one free for years. And in a way, it launched my career. Mm-hmm. It was, um, I wouldn't be where I was and where I am now if it hadn't been for doing a book one promo free for a lot of years. Because I wouldn't have gotten enough people into the funnel to get mm-hmm. you know, enough readers. However, some of the other things I've done, you know, like, um, I don't know, free book pub featured deals or um, other big promos and things like that, or, you know, back when, when, um, you know, shared giveaways and things were, were real big where you're just getting a lot of sort of mm-hmm. non warm readers on your mailing list. Right. I think eventually leads to a, a soggy, you know, unresponsive mailing list mm-hmm. that you're paying for. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm switching my focus now to saying, you know, like, look, I think my new mailing list for my new series, the only way to get on it is if you've actually bought the book and found the link in the back. That's the only way you're getting in. And there's going to be a, I do do a bonus epilogue, which is like something that Lucy score taught me. I've done Um, it too. Yeah. And like, I'm saying like, okay, I'm going to really focus right now. I'm going to sacrifice bulk sales for quality readers. Mm -hmm. Um, People that are really invested so that when I email this list, you know, two years from now about my third or fourth or how many books, you know, in this series, I want my response rate to be really high. I want people to be like, these are all people where I know where they came from. I know everyone that's on this list has at least read the first book. Um, and I think that's an important shift in mindset of like, once you've been in it for a while and you have at least enough of a name um, that people can say, okay, yeah, this guy's got some books out or she has you know, a little bit of a following that we can, we can get behind her um, that you start to value yourself and say, you know, let's start getting paid for the amount of time and effort we put into yeah. this stuff. Yeah. I, um, at romance mm. author mastermind that just came up, Laurelyn page did a talk and she talked about, um, finding new readers at different price points mm-hmm. because there's some readers that won't read a book that's priced below five ninety nine just because it's perceived value. Yeah. And, um, my books have been four ninety nine, but I raised them to five ninety nine um, uh, two weeks ago, went three weeks ago, whenever that was over with. It's been weird because it it sort of happened at a weird time with um, Black Friday and you know the holidays right, and everything. Right. So I'm I have seen a drop in sales, but I haven't really seen a big change in my income. So right. I'm going to ride it out and keep them that way yeah. through January for sure, just to make sure if if it's not working, I'll I can lower them back to four ninety nine. But I, yeah, it makes a lot of sense to think well. There's are some people that just want books that are priced this price or higher mm-hmm. because in their minds, that's a quality book, whether mm-hmm. it's true or not is remains to be seen, but in their minds, that's, that's how it is. So I think that's really smart. Yeah. And my books are in KU. So the people that really want them yeah, um, can go too. get them in KU and they, there's not really an excuse to say that they're not affordable. Um, but like my new book, it's sort of a YA action adventure series, kind of along the lines of, you know, hunger games, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So I've got it priced at seven 99 right now. That's awesome. Um, 
because that's what a lot of the other books in that genre are as well. You have to obviously pay attention to your genre. Sure, sure. Um, if you're writing military sci-fi or something like that, where everyone else is at you know two ninety nine or ninety nine cents or something, then maybe that won't work for you. But in a YA audience, for example, where a lot of people are buying paperbacks, mm-hmm. um, you have to understand that you have to maybe shift your mindset there and try to focus on advertising your paperbacks more, and also be willing to you know raise your eBay prices a little bit and and know that it, you're going to make it up on the the money side because you mm-hmm. are earning more. You're earning right. so. I mean, if exactly. I'm making five dollars off of a sale, that's great. You know, that's um, I definitely don't need as many sales. Right. So, and I think that, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's important to, to read the, the terrain mm-hmm. of, you know, how the industry is changing, mm-hmm. um, cause it is always changing mm-hmm. and also to, you know, know that it's going to be particular by genre. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, you, you have to just keep putting out quality work mm-hmm. too. And people, once you get enough readers who will literally just buy anything you put out, Mm-hmm. that's where the, the real game changer is because yeah. you've established yourself as a must-have author. Mm-hmm. And for them, they're like, okay, whatever this person puts out, I'm buying it. And right. that's, those are the relationships you want to be building. Those are the, you know, the people you really want to keep and connect with. Right. Um, and that's one of my big focuses going forward this year. So you've given us so much great stuff, but is there like a tactic or a strategy in writing or marketing that you think you did to set yourself up for success in the beginning? Um, I think for me, my particular understanding your brand, I think is important. Mm-hmm. Um, understanding what is the, the, the root of what you write. And uh, I think Chris Fox talked about accessing that like inner reader of yourself, like, mm-hmm. like that young version. And for me, it was, sort of diving back in and saying, okay, what I really love is adventure stories. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be my brand. It's just going to be like endless adventure is like how I'm sort of, you know, tagging it and saying that, yeah, I'm going to continuously create this particular type of content where readers can expect something from me. Mm -hmm. They're going to get an adventure story Mm -hmm. and know that it's going to be relatively happily resolved. Um, and it's not going to necessarily end. It, I mean, it, the story ends. I, I give. I don't believe in cliffhanger endings for for books. Mm-hmm. I do very satisfying, you know, mm-hmm. arcs inside of a book with the open door for mm-hmm. continued adventure, and that works for me because that's I write. You know, like I said, I I put out a book a year basically, and I know that I don't want to wait. Um, you know, people waiting for ever, yeah. but I also, um, I have to understand that the people who are okay with that are going to be on board with me. Mm-hmm. And they're going to, you know, we're going to, they're going to see a book from me every year. And for some people that's going to seem vast because they're used to dealing with, you know, um, other writers who, you know, take years and years and years, the George R. R. Martins and people who are just, you know, take forever to write books. So for us, like, even though a year seems slow by indie standards, um, it's actually quite fast by trad pub standards yeah. by any other standard. It is. Yeah, yeah. Like we're kind of too hard on ourselves sometimes about that. Yeah. Um, so I think knowing yourself, knowing your own limitations, um, understanding what it is that you're good at, which is what, what Becca sign was talking about, know your strengths. Mm-hmm. And for me, my strength is like to really think through a plot, really understand a, a story before I put it on the page. Mm-hmm and um, deliver a really satisfying adventure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm going to just keep doing that. I'm not necessarily going to chase the trends. I'm not going to try to do what other people are doing because 
I've worked so hard to get good at what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to switch tracks all the time and chase after whatever. It's exhausting. Know, it is it exhausting. Is, it is exhausting, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think the branding thing, that's something that it can take a while to figure out because mm-hmm. like you said, yours is adventure. And it's taken me about 10 years to realize that I write, I'm going with Mystery Most Charming is my brand because no matter if I'm writing historical cozy or modern cozy, readers know that it's going to be a mystery and it's going to have elements that they go, oh, this is so enjoyable and they love it and it's a charming story and the people are mostly likable. You know, so it takes a while to figure out what is your overarching brand instead of just your brand for your series. And once you figure that out, I feel like you've got that's when you start getting the people who are into you, not just, Oh, this is another adventure story, or this is just another mystery. They're like, Oh, I want a Nathan Van Koop's book, you know? So, yeah. And I think that's important because the more you get to know your readers, um, the more you can understand as you're writing um, what the characters are bringing to them, uh, what kind of things their expectations are. Like I know that my readers are right you know, like fairly clean things, you know, they don't, I don't use a lot of bad language. I don't have any, um, graphic sex. I don't, you know, I mean, I have, there's plenty of, you know, swashbuckling adventure, but that's, you know, that's, that's, um, I write a basically a PG 13 level. You know, I think it's important to know that, um, if I suddenly start making R rated content, um, or G rated content, you know, people are going to be like, Nope, I'm out. Um, so yeah, consistency of brand, I think is very important. Yeah. Um, the other thing I was going to say too, like as far as marketing strategies, if you're not already in audio, I think everyone needs to be in audio. Audio is booming. Um, and that's one thing I've made a big investment in over the years is I will always go for a quality narrator. Um, I'll pay whatever you know I need to pay to get a really good voice, a really good narrator for my, for my stuff because the future is in audio, I think. And um, the more we can adapt to that and um, be prepared for for all that and, and have the rights to those things. I'm not real big on selling the rights to my audio either because I just think that that space is changing so quickly. Mm-hmm. And I think the next 10 years are going to be um, really interesting. And I want to be there and ready yeah. ready to, to play. Yeah. Well, Nathan, we're so glad you were here today and especially since you don't feel really well uh we appreciate it we got to listen to the dulcet tone what is it dulcet tones of nathan van coot <laughs> yeah. yeah um but tell people where they can find you um absolutely yeah. in your books so uh van coops is two words it's v-a-n-c-o-o-p-s and uh i'm the only one there is so i'm really easy to find <laughs> i uh it's Nathan, NathanVanCoops.com is the website, but I'm also uh, very active on Facebook. Um, so just Facebook.com slash NathanVanCoops. Uh, you can find me and you can also, um, I have a um, uh, Book Faces Live podcast yep. where I occasionally interview wonderful authors like yourselves, um, the previous guests of the show. And uh, so I do intermit- intermittent interviews um, and uh, that's always a fun place to hang out too. Yeah. It it's a great podcast. It is a great podcast. Yeah. I just yeah. listened to the one with you and Cecilia Mecca. It was oh, really good. good. Yeah. 
she's such a treat. She's she is positive, like a big person. I just, I just love hanging out with her. So funny yeah. story about Cecilia and I, we both have very bad eating habits and we joke about it. We say yeah. we have the eating habits of 12 year old boy and we sort of joke about who's his worst. And yeah. I messaged her the other day and said, I just ate a movie theater hot dog. Top that. And she said, <laughs> I just ate Kraft macaroni and cheese for lunch. I'm like, it's a tie. <laughs> We're terrible. Uh, <laughs> well, that's a great interview. The, the one you did with Cecilia. And I have yeah. a group of people, a group, the people that do my, have done my cozy course. And so I sent them to that. I posted in there. I was like, Hey, this is a great, cause it had so many good plotting resources and that's yeah. what they're interested in. So it was great. And I, I can't wait to hear more because um, I, I enjoyed that because I learned. I was so surprised that like her top five plotting resources and my top mm-hmm. five like barely overlap. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm, I think I, I've, I've got more room to dive into those topics with other authors and see like what was the oh, thing yeah. that you. Yeah. Like, I don't know, for you two, did you guys have a very specific like resource that really kind of turned you on to structure or? I don't, I don't plot very well <laughs> at all. You're still a future, a future plotter. I'm a future plotter. <laughs> I don't plot well yet. Yes. Yeah. That is yes. The right answer. yeah I read um, James Scott Bell's book, Plot and Structure, and that yeah. was really helpful. And then I found some that were very specific to mysteries, and that was okay. helpful. Because mysteries are a little different than, you know, like the, if you're writing an episodic type series, you can't really have the hero's journey in book one. Mm-hmm. you can have to spread it out. And so a lot of the stuff I was reading, I was like, I can't do this. I don't know how right. to do this. So, yeah. Yeah. I think understanding mystery, understanding romance, like some of these other, mm-hmm. um, the bones are a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Well, with, in romance too, you've got two pro- protagonists and sometimes yeah. you don't have an antagonist. Right. They're each other's antagonists. So it's, yeah. it is tricky sometimes. Yeah. It's a whole nother way of thinking about your book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I, that's one of the things I geek out about all the time is I, I'm a big structure nerd. Yeah. And like my whole month right now before I, I'm not even writing anything right now until January because I'm just sitting around structuring. And, <laughs> out about and are you loving it? Like every minute oh, of it? Oh my gosh. Yeah. This is like, <laughs> and the fact that like people like Becca, Becca Syme have sort of given me permission to be like, you know what, yeah. this is an important part of your right. process. Right. The more you do this, the better you'll get at it. Right. And I'm like, mm-hmm. Ooh, Okay, challenge accepted. Yeah, I think Becca's job is just to make us all feel better, just to say it's okay. Yeah, yeah. keep doing yeah. what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This is a strength. This is not a deficiency, yeah. and then yeah. it's like you can lean into it. So, right. yeah. I'm excited to check out your episode with uh, with Becca. I'll be definitely. Yeah. Be oh, it yeah. was fun. She yeah. Was fun. Yeah. So I think this will be great. I think there's so much helpful information in here. So. Thank you, you so much. Great. I was looking Thank forward to talking to you because yeah. I knew that you would have good information and good perspective yeah different perspective i love that yeah yeah good i'm happy to be here like i said I w- i've been looking forward to this um for quite a while so uh, i apologize like i said for the gravelly voice but um, no I- you did great thanks for listening to the wish i'd known men podcast we hope this episode inspired you empowered you and made you laugh a little bit too if you loved it tell your friends about it and if you feel so inclined leave us a review We look forward to being with you again next week.